Hi guys, and welcome back to Mystery and Comedy Old Time Radio Podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. I wanted to go ahead and drop my Memorial Day Part 2 episode a little earlier than expected for you guys, so that way you guys can enjoy what I have in store for y'all tomorrow. But today we celebrate the men and women who have fought from the foundation of our country in 1776 all the way to the current times from every war to the from the revolutionary war which founded this country to the most recent one in Afghanistan and Baghdad we salute and thank all the men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom that we have in this great country of ours. May we never forget how truly blessed we are as a nation to worship God and for the men and women who sacrificed themselves for both God and country. Anyways guys, in this first episode Please welcome Mr. Ben Crosby, Ms. Agnes Moorhead, and many others in the anthology series. Two episodes to celebrate our men and women who have fought and paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. Then stay tuned after the show to hear Mr. Ms. Maria. Mariah Jackson, as she sings My Country Tis of Me, Mr. Ben Crosby, as he sings God Bless America, and finally Mr. Frank Sinatra singing America the Beautiful, and then finally to finish up my Memorial Day episode, we listen to the Amazing Grace Bagpipe taps and followed by a 21 gun salute to never forget the men and women who died and fought for this country i hope you guys have a great memorial holiday and always remember guys to enjoy the show thanks dupont presents the cavalcade of america survey of the listeners to these programs in the Cavalcade of America presented by DuPont disclosed a number of interesting things. One of them was that of the several million people listening every Wednesday evening, about 81% are adults and about 19% children. In connection with the interest taken by boys and girls of school age, we recently received an interesting comment from the executive secretary of a state civic league. She said, As I go about the state meeting with various organizations, I continue to hear high praise of Cavalcade. One mother of several children told me she invited the neighborhood children to come in each week to hear Cavalcade, making quite a social event of it. She believes that listening to a program of such high caliber will help the children develop high standards of appreciation as radio listeners. 
It gratifies DuPont to know that the Cavalcade of America is considered one of radio's better programs. Certainly, this result is closely related in spirit to the phrase used by DuPont chemists, better things for better living through chemistry. The DuPont Cavalcade Orchestra plays as an overture Victor Herbert's famous Panamericana.
Tonight, we bring you two stories of American resourcefulness. The first opens in 1849, the year of the great California gold rush. Thousands of Americans rushed to Panama and, crossing the isthmus, embarked on West Coast vessels for San Francisco. Our story begins in Panama on the muddy tropical waters of the River Chagres as a canoe carrying two Americans and manned by natives paddles west. Faster, men! Faster! we got to get to California while there's still some gold left. Oh, let the poor Indians set their own pace, Carr. Even after we reach Panama City, we'll have to wait for the boat to San Francisco on the 30th. Isn't that right? Well, Bristol, the way we're going now, we won't be there by the 30th. Faster! Don't wait, don't wait. Say, Carr, what's that ahead of us, a raft? There's a white man on it. Looks like it. Out here in the middle of the jungle. Looks like he's fishing. Ahoy there, Raph! Ahoy yourself! Senores, they got peace. We'll pull up alongside that, Raph. Hurry up, pull over there. Hurry up! Who are you? I'm John Jetson Ames, American citizen. Gone for California as you probably are. Yeah, catch hold of that canoe there now. All right. A man going to the gold mines and he stopped to fish. <laughs> I'm no gold miner, sir. I must be nearly the only person going to California who isn't. I'm poking about with this hook because I've lost the most valuable part of my baggage overboard. Good heavens. What? I can see it just below the surface. Some kind of machine, isn't it? A gold mining machine? We'll salvage it, mister, for shares. It's a printing press, gentlemen. What, a printing... What in tarnation's name you bring in a printing press to a gold rush? Huh. Maybe knows a way to mint metal with it. Come on, Bristol, the sun's touched him. Uh, no, wait a minute. Uh, look here, Mr. Ames. I think it's too bad you've lost your press, but you mustn't stay out here in this swampy water looking for it. You might get tropical fever. I can't go away and leave it, sir. I spent all my money buying it in New Orleans. The citizens of San Diego are waiting for me to come. This press will put out one of the first newspapers on the West Coast. <laughs> you mean if you get it off the bottom of the Chagres? Let's get on, Bristol. Mr. Ames, if you're a smart man, you'll get into this canoe with us and let us help you to Panama City. If you don't come now, chances are you'll miss out on all the good mining claims. Thank you, gentlemen. I won't forget your kindness, but I must stay with my press. Well, let's go, then. Push her off, boys. Now, pull away. Pull fast. Goodbye. Goodbye. Good luck. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now, let's get ahead with our work. Perhaps it is wiser you go, Senor Amos. We now can get this big machine out of the river. We'll get it all right. Hold my hand while I lower myself into the water here. See, si, Senor. Ah. Ah. There you are. Ah. Ah. Yeah, the water's certainly slimy. Well, I'll take a deep breath and go under. See if I can tug at it underwater. See. Si. He's strong as an ox, Senor. If we'll get it yet. Hey, he has it. A few weeks later, in the coastal town of Panama City, Joseph Bristol and Len Carr again meet with John Judson Ames, whom they had left fishing for his printing press in the Chagres River. Well, John Judson Ames. That's right, sir. We meet again. You remember my name. By all that's holy, Jane. 
What's the matter with you? Why, you don't look human. I lost weight out on that river, and now I've just finished walking over the mountains from Galgona. Over the... Well, look what I brought with me. Why, are all those little donkeys yours? One, two, th- ten of them. And look what's on their backs. My printing press. I had a terrible time fishing it out of that river, and then when I got it to Galgona, I found I had to take it apart to get it over the mountains. And you've got it... On all those donkeys? <laughs> well, what's the matter? <laughs> Nothing. But Carl and I were worrying our heads off, wondering what had happened to you. And here you got into Panama City before we even caught a boat. I've got to get a ticket on that packet tonight. Uh, where's the steamship over? Why, down the street a ways, we'll take you. Well, they've raised the rates on tickets again. $500 now to San Francisco. $500? Uh, haven't you got that much, Ames? It took so much to pay off the natives and buy the burrows. Well, they've got to let me go north for $300. Uh, there's not a chance they will. If, if I had the money, I'd loan it to you, Ains. I don't see how you're going to get anywhere on $300. Oh, I'll get to San Francisco. I've got to figure it out. Is there a newspaper here in Panama City? <laughs> in this place? This is just a collection of mud huts, Ains. Full of Americans waiting for the boat. Even a tent city needs a newspaper. Gives a community spirit. One issue of a newspaper might put this town on its feet. Yes, but you could... You two have got to help me. For pay, of course. For nothing, Ames. But uh, you don't even know our names. I'm Joe Bristol, and this is Len Carr. We'll do whatever we can, of course. Thanks, Bristol. Then you find a Spaniard that can write. Part of my paper will be in Spanish. Then... You go up to every American in town that will talk to you and ask him for the news out of his letters from home. That'll give us news from all over America. For Pete's sake. Tell him what it's for. Community enterprise. And, Carr, you show me where your tent is. We'll start putting this press together. I want to get out on issue by the next boat. John Ames, with the help of his newfound friends, set up his press in Panama City. A few days later, outside the 10th office of the Panama City Herald, where a delighted crowd is gathered, most of them reading newspapers. Hey, here's an item from my hometown. Listen. Saginaw, Michigan. Bert Kellogg's prize cow, Bella, gave 30 quarts of milk the week of July 1st, believed to be a record for this part of the county. Congratulations, Bella. Where's the newspaper office? Right inside, friend. You better hurry, though. They're running off another edition, but it's going like hotcakes. I gotta get a copy. You know, you know, I kinda like this here editorial on Flap the Mosquito. Hey, uh, here's Mr. Ames himself. Oh, oh Mr. Ames. Fine work, there, Mr. Ames. Well, I'm glad you like it, folks. <laughs> Can I get through to the office? Right, sure <laughs> thing. Right through here. Make room there for Miss Ames. Uh, thanks, thanks. Hello, Bristol. How did it work? Ames, come on in. Guess how much cash we've taken in just since you stepped out. Fifty dollars. You got enough for your passage now? Sure. Just a question of getting the press aboard. The ticket agent from the steamship line has been waiting to talk to you. This is Mr. Armana. Senor Ames. Senor Armana, welcome to the office of the Panama City Herald. Gracias, senor. I want to tell you how much I like your paper and how proud I am to read the wonderful article about our ship that sails tomorrow. Uh, Senor Armana... How would you like several more free advertisements about your ship in the first issues of a new paper in San Diego? Oh, senor, that would be splendid. It would help your business, wouldn't it? Without doubt. Then, uh, would you transport my printing press there free of charge in return for advertisements? 
senor. Because I hear something of your story, I admire you. You give me the advertisement, and the printing press may go north free. John Judson Ames got his press to California and published one of the first newspapers in the Southwest, the San Diego Herald. The Herald held its own for about ten years. But the southern coast cities of California had not grown as fast as Ames had hoped. And finally, he reluctantly moved his press to the gold camps. In 1851, in San Bernardino, in a small, rough shack, John Ames lies ill. And a friend, Edwin Sherman, sits by his bedside. Sherman, are you still here? Yes, I'm here, Ames. Hey. I hate to quit. Now, Ames, you haven't got the strength to put out a paper anymore. You've missed two issues now. Couldn't help it. Sherman, do you still want to buy my press? Why, sure I do, Ames. I don't know where I'm going to find the press if you won't sell. Well, I've got to ask you a few questions first. Get that Bible over there. Sure. Sure. There you are. Now, put your hand on it. Yes. First, are you for Abe Lincoln? You know I'm a Lincoln supporter, Ames. Now you are. Will you be all the time, no matter what happens? No matter how many people run him down? Will your newspaper favor him? Yes, Ames. I promise. If I die, and you break that promise, you can trust me, eh? I've worked hard, Sherman. Not much success. I had a big newspaper in a little town. Towns didn't grow as fast as I thought. But they will. This West is a fine country. Yes, I know. That's why I want to take your press over into Nevada. Take it, Sherman. You can do more good now than I can. Thank you. Ames, I'd like you to listen to this dedication for my first edition. The press on which this newspaper is printed has braved the seas, the rivers, and the floods. It has set forth no disloyal sentiments. It has won the love of its friends and commanded the respect of its enemies. Ames died, but his press served many years more in the growing web, publishing such early Western papers as the Esmeralda Star, the Eno Journal. When its usefulness was ended, it was preserved as an historical memento and rests in honorable retirement in the Museum of Americana at Dearborn, Michigan, as a reminder of the resourcefulness of John Judson Ames. Cavalcade of America, presented by DuPont, moves on. Our modern episode this evening tells a story of the Coast Guard, an organization famous for its ability to meet all kinds of emergencies. Our story opens on an isolated island off the mid-Atlantic coast. The ice flows of a severe winter have piled up around the island, hemming it in from ships. 
At this moment, two small boys, sons of island fishermen, trudge with their sleds out across the ice toward the open ocean. We're getting out awful far from shore, Dick. Ah, oh, this ice is thick, Sammy. We could walk clear out and look down in the water. You'd better not. Listen to that. That's the ice flow cracking. All right, scaredy cat, go back home. You're the biggest scaredy cat on Ritter's Island. No. No, I'm not. Watch me. I can pick up this sled and run and later, in the nearby Coast Guard headquarters. Coast Guard headquarters. Coach speaking. Just a minute. It's for you, Lieutenant. Thanks, Jim. Lieutenant Gordon speaking. What is it? My Lord, what next? The whole eastern seaboard's falling to pieces. Hey, how long has it been since he had any sleep? Three or four days. Been supposed to start south on his leave every day for a week. Yes, I every know. Every day something but... happened. Well, if he's going to wait for things to stop happening around this station, he'll do without a leave well... the rest of his life. He needs it, though. Yes, Running on his nerves. Yes, we might be able to land a plane at Ritter's. We've only got about 40 minutes of daylight left. All right, we'll do what we can. Yeah, yeah, that's a promise. Goodbye. Chief, we can't land a plane at Ritter's. That place is bad news and good weather. Well, this man swears there's a patch of open water in Southeast Cove, close to shore. Uh, get me a chart that shows Ritter's, will you? Sure. What do they want a plane for, anyway? Oh, a couple of kids got caught in an ice floe. The fishing boat picked them up, but instead of bringing them to the mainland, carted them back across the ice to the island. No doctor can get there in a hurry, and they've got to have medical help. Here's your chart. Oh, thanks, Jim. How did the word come to shore? Amateur radio, and then relayed around by telephone. Yeah. Yeah, by the time a cutter could get there and cross the ice and carry them out again, it might be too late. It's 4.30 now. It'll be dark by five. I know it. You better go out and warm up number three. You really going to try it, Chief? Naturally. Well, now, don't get me wrong. I'll go out there and try to land in a bathtub if I have to. But that water around Ritter's is full of floating logs and chunks of ice. This is my trip, Jim. I once hung around that island for months, waiting to spot some smugglers out of Havana. Your trip, huh? Can't I come along? Co-pilot and radio man if you want. It's strictly a volunteer job. Okay, I'm volunteering. Say, aren't you supposed to start south on leave as soon as you go off duty tonight? Sure. Let's go. If we get back in time, I can catch a 10 o'clock train. Okay. When Lieutenant Gordon and Jim Coates started for Ritter's Island, they knew that a dangerous landing lay ahead of them. They found the island by lights in the windows of a few houses, and guided by them and a bonfire built by the natives on shore, they brought their plane down in a tortuous inlet. Some time later, inside the plane, just before the takeoff. 
trapped in safely? Yeah, they're tied to the floor. One of them's thrashing around a good bit. The other one's too sick to notice. Ah, uh, poor little Chavis. All right, we're all set then, Jim. Hey, I gave out four flashlights to fishermen to mark the end of the channel. I can only see three. I see the fourth. Over uh, here to the right. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see it. All right. Everybody out there, keep clear ahead! Well, she revs up okay, Jim. Goodbye! Goodbye! Well, Jim, keep your fingers crossed. Oh, we'll be all right if we don't pile up on a ship or a hunk of ice. good when I squeezed into that pond, but I feel a lot better about getting out of it. I want to get out. Let me out. What's the matter, son? I want to get out. Jim, you take the controls. I'll go back there. Got the ship? Okay. I want to get out. I want to uh, get out. Hey, what's the matter? Scared of the plane, youngster? No, but Sammy won't talk to me. Sammy. Uh, now listen, Dick. Uh, Sammy's pretty sick, see? Uh, Got a choking in his throat, uh, like you have, and he, he aches all over. Let him sleep, will you, son? All right, but take off these darn straps. Now, listen here, Dick. You've got to do something for me. I flew all the way out here to get you, and it was hard to get down and hard to get up. It was so hard, I was plenty scared to try it. You were scared? Yes, I was. Now, will you do something for me? Try to go to sleep? Headquarters is coming in, Chief. All right, you take it. Gordon and Coates in plane three answering. Plane three answering. Oh, Jim, tell headquarters we made Ritter's and we're rushing the kids to the hospital. The plane rushes through the darkness and makes an easy landing at the naval base. A short time later, in the hospital, as Lieutenant Gordon waits in a corridor... Gordon? Oh, yes, Doctor. I've been out making calls to my headquarters, but I wanted to know how the boys were doing before I left. Well, the little one, Sammy, is still a pretty sick boy, but he'll pull through. Good. You're no connection of their families, are you? Well, no. You see, I only picked them up when a call came into the Coast Guard headquarters. Doctor, could you come here for a moment? Yes, what is it, Miss Redmond? Well, one of these boys is a handful. For the last hour, he's been demanding to see the pilot who flew in here. Well, Lieutenant Gordon's right here. Lieutenant, if you have time. Oh, certainly, certainly. I want to see the kids. That's what I came back for. You'll come right in. Thank you. Say, are you crying again, Dick? No, I'm not. I thought you were going away. Well, I haven't. Nothing like that. I'll leave you with them, Lieutenant. All right, thanks. Sammy's lots better. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I feel fine. That's great, Sammy. They gave us something that made us all hot inside. Whew. Well, didn't I tell you you'd like this place? Well, you'll have chicken and ice cream, and you'll be good and warm all the time. Sammy keeps crying because he can't see his mother. Oh, you keep crying for yours, too. Now, listen, both of you. That's just the way not to get well, see? Now, as soon as the ice throws are out, your mothers will be over here right away. But what about tonight? Yeah. I never was away from home before at night. Well, all right. If, if you two fellows will be good and do what the nurse tells you, maybe I can remember a couple of stories. Oh, gee, I bet you know a lot of stories, Lieutenant. About airplanes and going after second ships and chasing smugglers. Do you know anything about big ships? I'm going to be a, a ship captain. You are, huh? Yeah. Well, now, let's see. I... Lieutenant Gordon. Oh, yes, nurse. Mr. Coates is calling on the telephone. 
He says to tell you he called headquarters and he, that he's to take the plane back and you're to start on your leave tonight. Mm. He says to come out to the airport right away. You just have time to get a train south. Well, will you tell him, nurse, that, that I'll see him back at the station tomorrow or the day after? You're not leaving. Not tonight. Oh, tell him... Tell him I've got a job here. I haven't quite finished. In small matters, as in great, the Coast Guard meets constant danger, a life that is a series of emergencies. Required to stand ready for a hundred varied tasks, day and night, the Coast Guard, one of the most resourceful organizations in the world, has won a foremost place in the cavalcade of America. The ability to find an answer to the toughest problem has always been an outstanding national trait. This spirit exists on land and sea, on farms, in cities, and in chemical laboratories. The resourceful modern chemist produces curious and remarkable things. Who'd ever believe, for instance, that men could make sponges from cotton or from trees? Wooden sponges. Well, they can. Both cotton and wood are composed largely of a substance called cellulose. Chemists turn cellulose into something that looks like a sponge, acts like a sponge, in fact, is a sponge. Put it on the sea bottom and you almost could fool the fishes with it. This new cellulose sponge, only recently placed on the market by DuPont, is very tough and durable, yet remarkably soft and pliable when wet. It absorbs many times its weight of water and is not affected by ordinary cleaning chemicals. This is only one of the many ways that chemists use nature's raw materials in making articles that serve our needs. Sometimes chemical research gives us products entirely different from anything found in nature. For example, chemists found how to take cellulose from spruce trees and make a material as clear and transparent as glass, the sparkling wrapping used for so many things today. It is called cellulose film. DuPont sells it under the trademark cellophane. Another member of this same family is Cellosil, the attractive caps and bands made by DuPont and used to seal bottles for protection against dirt or germs or counterfeiting. Even rayon, that luxurious yarn used in making so many lovely fabrics, is created from spruce tree cellulose by an amazing chemical process. These examples of the work of DuPont chemists are only a few out of many, but they serve to illustrate what is meant by the DuPont phrase, better things for better living through chemistry. Songs of Home, several interesting stories of American songs we all love, will be heard next week at the same time when DuPont again presents The Cavalcade of America. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. W.A.B.C. New York.
starring Helen Hayes in Spin a Silver Dollar on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. But first, here is Ted Pearson with some timely information on weed killers. Uh, weed pulling and digging is a very hard and back-breaking job. And in the case of poison ivy, well, a dangerous one as well. Now, DuPont has two chemical weed killers which destroy weeds, many kinds of weeds. Carmex 2,4-D in tablet form destroys weeds in lawns, but doesn't harm the grass. The other DuPont weed killer is amide. It's quick and sure death to such noxious weeds as poison ivy, poison oak, and poison sumac. Both are easy and safe to handle. You simply mix them in water and spray until the weeds are thoroughly wet. Carmex 2,4-D and amate are two more of the DuPont Company's Better Things for Better Living, through chemistry. The DuPont Company presents Spin a Silver Dollar, starring Helen Hayes as Sally Lippincott on the Cavalcade of America. Hear that telephone bell? It's ringing for me, Sally Lippincott, or for Bill. Bill's my husband, and we're magazine writers. And all day long, the telephone rings, and on the other end, there are some inhuman human beings called editors. Hello? Oh, hello, Mr. Harlow. No, Bill isn't here. Yes, I know he said he would be, but he had to see a family lawyer about a trading post in Arizona. The article... Yes, wasn't it wonderful? I think Bill has never been so clever. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it, too. What? Oh, I see. Well, that can easily be fixed. What? Revamp the lead? Uh-huh. Yeah. What's wrong with the ending? Oh, I get it. And get more specific incidents into the middle portion. Uh. Well, I'm glad you liked the title. Goodbye. Sally. Yes, Bill. Sally, I've got some bad news. We've got to go out to Arizona. Oh, no. Well, here's the situation. Since Uncle Jim died, that trading post has been inactive. It's worth a lot of money if it's operating or if it can be sold. Well, you and I have to go out there and run it until we can find a buyer. Why, you and I? Because we're writers. We're not chained to a desk and an office. Now, Bill, I don't think it's fair, and I refuse to go. But we've got to go, Sally. I don't like it any better than you do. Besides, we'll be paid. We'll shiver to death. We'll roast. It's on the desert. And our customers are Indian? Mm-hmm. Navajos. I see. Bill, what's the name of this trading post? Wide Ruin. Oh, cozy. Well, Bill, I won't do it. I will not. It's not fair. I will absolutely not. I will absolutely not. <laughs> We went to Wide Ruins. We spun a silver dollar, and I lost as usual. Wide Ruins. It was well named. The desert all around was wide, and the trading post was a ruin. Well, how do you like it? Mm, isn't there anything but desert around here? Well, it's kind of pleasant, though. Come on, let's go in and look the place over, Sally. You go. I don't want to fall through the floor. You won't fall through the floor. There's nothing wrong with this building that a good coat of paint can't fix. Nothing? Take a look at the roof. Yeah, I'm looking. Oh, we'll fix that. Come on, let's go in and set up housekeeping. 
place could use some Bill. paint. Yeah. We've got company. Company? Where? Oh. Hello. Hello. How do you do? <laughs> We're Mr. and Mrs. Lippincott. We've come to take over the trading post. Hello. Uh, do you live near here? Yes. I expect we'll be doing business together. Yes. Well, if you'll excuse us... Wait a minute, Bill. I, I think this man wants to say something to us. Didn't you want to say something, Mr... Yes. Well, uh, what is it? Me, Joe Toddy. Welcome to White Ruins. Oh, how lovely. Thank you very much indeed. Yes, thank you. We're glad to be here. Me come do business with you. Sally, our first customer. Uh, no, me come fix roof. You, my customer. That was our introduction to life among the Navajos. They're a curiously calm people... And since we had come fresh from the jangle of telephone calls and the urgency of deadlines in the city, we found calmness to be most unnerving. Me pay next week. That's all right. What's your name? Tell me your name so that I can charge this flower to you. Uh, Sally, come here. Hmm? You must never ask a Navajo his name directly. No? No, they don't like that. They won't answer you. Oh. Well, then I'll have to get this man's name from one of his friends. No, no, no. They don't like that either. But I have to keep my books straight. How am I going to find out his name? Like this. Sally, this customer's name is Redberry with a big leap. You're wrong. My name, Soshi Bege. You see? There you are. Write it down, Sally. Me, we rug. You want buy? Well, we buy rugs. Let's unroll it and see. There. Oh, there's lettering on it. It's a hello. Hello? But where's the O? No room for O. We learned. We learned the customs of the Navajos. And the most important thing we learned about them is that they derive their whole nature, their philosophy, even their complexion from the desert around them. It's woven into their rugs and it runs through all their speech. I guess little Jimmy was the one who finally made me realize this. Little Jimmy first came to the trading post with Joe Toddy, his father. Me come fix roof now. Well, I should think you would, Joe. You've left us without a roof for almost a week. Only rain two time. Yeah? Who left these drawings on the front step? Drawings? I, I don't know, Sally. Those Jimmy's. Jimmy's? Jimmy, my boy. There he is. Where? Oh, there in the doorway. Well, hello, little boy. Oh, he ran away. Yes, he never stayed. And he drew these pictures. They're wonderful. Look, Bill, see those trees. Say, those are magnificent. Joe, how old is your boy? Eight. Did he ever try painting? No. Bill, we have a paint set in stock and some paper for watercolors. That's right. Here, Joe. Here are some paints and a nice brush and some paper. Will you give these to Jimmy for us? Yes, thank you. I go give him now. Me fix roof some other time. That 
was the beginning of our acquaintance with Jimmy. We never heard the sound of his voice. He'd edge sidewise into the store, Shyla lay a painting on the counter, and then he would flee. We kept him supplied with paints and paper, and he kept us supplied with paintings. Paintings that drew their subjects from the things he saw around him. Horses and deer and slender, graceful trees. And always in the background, the vast stretch of desert sand, brown and yellow and bronze. But Bill and I had other things to think about besides Jimmy. Joe Toddy had finally fixed our roof. But now the insects came. Sally, something has got to be done. Yes. Well, we've sent for the insecticide. Yes, and we've waited for three weeks. So? So I'm going to make an insecticide of my own. No, you're not. Sally, I've got to. We've got a chance to sell wide ruins. Fellow named Grayson called from Tucson just now. He's coming to look the place over tomorrow. Bill, that's wonderful. Sure it is, but he'll never buy the place if he gets eaten alive while he's inspecting it. He's an Easterner. Says he wants peace. Well, there's no more peaceful place than... Oh. What's the matter? <laughs> I never realized until I said it how peaceful Wide Ruins is. Yeah, it is peaceful, but that's neither here nor there. We've got to get rid of these insects before Grayson gets here. I'm going to make insecticide right now. Now, uh, pour in a little more from that bottle, Sally. How long do you have to stir that mess before it becomes insecticide? If it becomes insecticide. If it becomes insecticide. I don't know. Maybe forever. Now, Sally, just hand me that bottle. It was a strange explosion. It went almost directly upward. I got a little burn on my wrist and Bill got a larger one on his cheek, but nothing in the room was damaged. We were lucky. Well, yes, except for three things. The explosion literally raised Joe Toddy's new roof. Mr. Grayson saw the roofless trading post the next day and went right back to Tucson. And Joe Toddy refused to repair the roof this time. Me no go near trading post. But why not, Joe? Big blow up. Evil spirits mad at your house. Oh, that's foolish, Joe. Maybe foolish, but you see how foolish when no Indians go to trading post. Indians no anger evil spirits. Indians not do business with you, but Indians sorry if you starve. Well, there we were with a pretty problem that no grocer back home ever had to face. What do you do when you're going rapidly into bankruptcy because your customers think the evil spirits have the evil eye on your store? Bill and I called in the medicine man. Luka Chukai, his name was, the wrinkled old man with humorous eyes. Anazazi's angry with you. Anazazi's? Anazazi's evil spirits. So what do we do to make them smile again? Take a rug from counter, spread on floor. All right. Right here? That will do. Now here, here are charms. You hold one. Yes. You hold one. Thank you. So... Now, let us kneel on rug. Uh, now. Now, let me sprinkle... Sacred corn pollen on your hand. There. 
No, you're hand. The... No, taste. Hmm? Yes, taste. No, throw it high to God. Is that the end of the ceremony? That is end. We, we rise now. Are the Anazazis gone? Anazazis never go. But they are not angry any longer. Well, I want to thank you very much. And I want to tell you how impressive the ceremony was. The Anazazis no longer trouble you. My people will be pleased to come once more to your store. Thank you. But uh, uh, I would like to know why you call me in. Why you ask me perform this ceremony. You are white people. White people not believe in our gods. Well, we believe all gods are the same. Same? Yes, but we are strangers in your country, and we do not know how to approach the gods in a Navajo way. And that's why we asked you to help us. You good people, may you prosper here. Is it permitted to give you a gift? It is permitted, yes, but not a big gift. Well, there's some seaweed candy here on the counter. Here, this, uh, this candy is made from the flowers that grow under the sea. Eh? Bill bought it when he went to California. Uh, how you get uh, candy from flowers that grow under the sea? He bought it in California. Uh, you don't believe it. I believe you. And I have request. Next time you go to sea, will you bring me back some white sand, some black sand, and one wave? <laughs> You are listening to Spin a Silver Dollar, the story of Bill and Sally Lippincott, who took over a Navajo trading post. Tonight's star is Helen Hayes as Sally Lippincott on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by the DuPont Company, maker of better things for better living through chemistry. That was our introduction to Navajo ceremonies. We were to take part in many other ceremonies while we were at Wide Ruins. The most interesting, to me at any rate, because I am a woman, was one that I learned about through Jimmy. You see, all this time, Jimmy kept coming to the trading post. <laughs> and after he had silently handed me another picture, he never stayed longer than one shy second. And he never spoke. Not with his tongue, but with his pictures, he was eloquent. In beautiful pastels, he pictured the desert and the animals in which he seemed most interested. Never a human being. Never until one day. The picture that he left was of a young girl before an Indian hogan, lying on a mat with her head toward the east. Underneath, he had scrawled, My sister. I was interested, so I went to see his sister, and I showed her the picture. Oh, it's beautiful. Yes. But it made me wonder, and that's why I came to see you. Do you always sleep outside the Hogan? <laughs> oh, no. This is part of ceremony of coming into womanhood. It is held in the hope that the girl may become all that a woman can be. A bearer of children? Yes. But more than that, our people believe that a woman is the way her eyes look out of her mind. Mary, that's a very beautiful idea. And a true one. Please. I am to become a woman. You are a woman. What is it like? Oh, that's not easy to say, Mary. Some people might say that to be a woman is to be sad because the men do the strutting and the big important work like building and planning, 
harvesting, making money. But I always remember that women do the little important work, the comforting, the teaching, the singing. I'm not sad because I'm a woman, Mary. I'm joyous. Because to be a woman means to give life and to love life, to give strength and to draw strength from the giving. Thank you. I wanted to know. That is the way I want to feel about being a woman. Will you come to my ceremony? And so I went to the ceremony marking Mary's coming to womanhood. Throughout the ceremony, old Luca Chukai led the chanting. The medicine man was the center of the ceremony, but Mary was its spirit. Mary who came through it with a straight back and almond eyes and a clear, dark skin, like a warm, young animal, yet lovely and untouchable, too. Mary was a woman now. The most humorous and yet the most touching occurrence that ran through our lives at the trading post was the daily coming and going of young Jimmy. And one day we had good news for him, and I determined to make him speak. Jimmy, we've sold some of your pictures. I have a great deal of money for you. Look, Jimmy, you can buy anything you want in this store. What would you like, huh? No, uh-uh, it won't do you any good to point, Jimmy. You'll have to tell me what you want. That's it, Jimmy. Look everything over. See anything you like? Oh, no, you can't take it. You've got to ask for it. Jimmy, come back. Come on, Jimmy. Come on. Come on, come back. That's right. There. Jimmy, you don't have to talk if you don't want to. I'm sorry I treated you that way. Here. It was this water pistol you wanted, wasn't it? Here it is. Aren't you even going to say thank you? Well, you feel thank you, don't you, Jimmy? Hmm? You know, Jimmy, I want you to talk because I like you so much, and I, I'd like to hear the sound of your voice. Isn't there something you'd like to say to me? I... I... Yes? I love you. <laughs> There was a charm in our life at Wide Ruins, and there was a pulse beat about the place, as there is everywhere. Only at Wide Ruins, the pulse beat was slow and steady and strong. Bill and I almost forgot that we were there to sell the trading post. We almost forgot that we were anxious to get back to the city, to the writing of cute little pieces for magazines of national circulation. But then one day, the door of the trading post opened... And we were reminded of both facts in an instant. Well, well, Bill and Sally Lippincott. Ed Harlow. <laughs> That's right. And this is Charlie Dixon. How do you do? How, How do you do? do? Charlie, these are two of the finest writers an editor ever had. And kids, <laughs> I've come a hundred miles out of my way to bring you two back to New York. Well, we'd love to go, but we can't. Oh, nonsense. You're here because the post couldn't be sold, aren't you? Well, I brought a buyer with me. What? Fact. What do you say, Charlie. Well, I'm not sure yet, but this certainly looks like what I want. Oh, uh, Charlie, (laughs) 
Charlie wants to get away from it all. Well, then you like it here, Mr. Dixon. Oh, yes, this is the place for you. Have you ever watched a desert sunset? No. You'll have to learn the ways of the Indians. You'll have to let them teach you. Yes. You start out being patient with them, being patronizing, but they just stare at you like like wooden Indians. <laughs> And finally you feel small and cheap and over-civilized. And then you begin to see things the way they see them. It's really wonderful. It sounds wonderful. Well, it looks as if we're all going to get what we want. Charlie, you get right down to business and make out a check. And then I'm going to carry Sally and Bill back to New York with me. And boy, are they going to make up for lost time. <laughs> Am I going to make you two riders work, huh? <laughs> What's the matter, Sally? Bill, are you thinking the same thing I am? I certainly am. I'm sorry, Mr. Dixon, but Wide Ruins is not for sale. It was just a feeling we had. Bill and I couldn't quite explain why we had suddenly decided to stay at Wide Ruins. It had something to do with the desert and with all the stuff of the desert that went into little Jimmy's paintings or the Navajo women's rugs. And it had something to do with a peacefulness that we have found out here among the Navajos. But there was more to it than that. Something we couldn't put into words until the Indians, wouldn't you know it, taught us what it was. They had heard about a war going on in Europe, and they'd heard whispers that America might fight in that war. The elders of the tribe held council, and they sent old Luka Chukai to Bill. The elders of the tribe wish to go to war. My friend, I'm afraid the government will want the young men. No, we wish young men remain behind. We have had our sports, our marriage, our children. We have lived. Our sons should live now. So we, the elders, will go and our sons remain behind. My dear friend, I'm afraid you don't understand. The government will make your young men go. It will be a law, and I know that you'll want to obey that law. Your young men will have to go. Mm, very well. Then we go to go into battle ahead of young men of our tribe, so they will be unharmed. That was our answer. That told us why we wanted to stay among the Navajos of wide ruins. The peacefulness we had found on the desert came from a philosophy that we had absorbed from the Indians. A philosophy of calmness and bravery and the kind of deep wisdom that permitted the older men to sacrifice themselves so that the younger ones would know laughter and love, would marry and beget, that the race might go on. The war did come... And Bill, who went, and I, who stayed at home, both faced it better because we had been at Wide Ruins. And we're back at Wide Ruins now, and here we'll stay, among our friends and our teachers, the Indians of the desert, who are themselves like the desert, quiet and constant and deep and natural and American.
Helen Hayes will return to our cavalcade microphone in a moment. Now, here is Ted Pearson. Every home gardener knows that plants are attacked and often killed by insect enemies, and that plants have diseases just like human beings. The insects and diseases that harm plants harm all of us. They mean less food, for one thing, because home vegetable gardens contribute a a sizable amount to our national food supply. They mean less enjoyment to the home flower gardener. They even mean less happiness for the little girl in the city who tries to grow a single geranium on a window ledge. So, it's good news that now, for the first time, the DuPont Company is manufacturing an all-purpose garden dust. Uh, Just what is an all-purpose garden dust, and why is it such good news? Well, until now, you have generally had to buy a different product for each insect and plant disease. You may have wondered, as a good many other people have... Why on earth somebody didn't invent one compound to do the whole job of protection? Well, the reason was that although the idea was there, the materials were not. Before such a compound could come into being, ingredients had to be discovered or developed that would do the complete job when they were added together. And that's what chemists and biologists have now accomplished. The new DuPont Garden compound contains four main ingredients. There's rotenone, DuPont DDT, and two new effective DuPont fungicides, Fermate and Zerlate. Applying it to gardens every seven to ten days gives protection against more than 40 insects and more than 20 plant diseases which may attack garden plants. Uh, However, applications should be stopped about 30 days before vegetables are picked. Home gardeners will especially appreciate the fact that DuPont garden dust is easy to use. It's sold as a dry powder. You can use it right out of the container. Or if you want to spray, all you do is add water. Now, here's a good illustration of chemical science at work. There was a need for a single compound to protect plants, but the compound could not come into being until a number of chemicals were available, each of which would take on part of the job and all of which would act together easily, effectively, and economically. Chemists with other scientists developed those materials, and now you can buy an all-purpose garden dust. This is why we speak of our DuPont products as better things for better living through chemistry. And now, here is Helen Hayes. Thank you. If you're like me, you remember how exciting automobiles were in our childhood. Our memories may not go back 50 years, but the first auto in Detroit appeared that long ago. And next week... Cavalcade is honoring the industry's golden jubilee in a colorful story called I Guess It's Here to Stay, starring Everett Sloan. It's a good story, and I know you'll like it. Good night. Cavalcade marks with pleasure another milestone of progress in the automotive world, the return of the Memorial Day Classic, the Indianapolis Speed Race, which will be run this Thursday for the first time since the war began. The music for tonight's DuPont Cavalcade was composed by Arden Cornwell and conducted by Donald Voorhees. Our Cavalcade play was written by Robert Senadella and based on incidents from the book Spin a Silver Dollar by Alberta Hannum, published by the Viking Press. Featured with Miss Hayes in tonight's cast were Carl Frank and Wanda Hernandez. Others in the cast included Sidney Sloan, Wilda Hinkle, Edith Tackner, and Cameron Prudhomme. This is Dwight Weist inviting you to listen next week to I Guess It's Here to Stay, 
starring Everett Sloan on the Cavalcade of America, brought to you by the DuPont Company of Wilmington, Delaware. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. clouds gather far across the sea let us swear allegiance to a land that's free let us all be grateful for a land so fair as we raise our voices in a solemn prayer God bless America, land that I love, stand beside her and 
and guide her Through the night with a light from above From the mountains to the prairies To the oceans white with foam God bless America My home, sweet home. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night. From the mountain to the prairies to the oceans white with fog. Bless America, my home, sweet home. God bless America.
series it's gonna be two episodes of the Cavaliers of America all-time radio show and I hope you guys had a wonderful Memorial holiday weekend and Memorial Day and thank you to all the men and women who paid the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom in this country Thank you for all that you do for freedom, protecting it, and giving up your lives so that we can live our lives free from persecution from other countries. I appreciate all who have passed on and are currently and who I have served this great country from the foundation of it in 1776 to 2022 thank you for 300 years of the ultimate service and sacrifice join me tomorrow night guys as i bring to the show mr john one in two episodes guaranteed to chill your spines and always remember guys to enjoy the show thanks have a great day and happy memorial day